Hello and welcome to the June 4th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. everybody and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe and it is awesome to have everybody here with me today and of course it feels great to be there with you as well. Been a couple of days and um, it's important that we get back into the swing of things. There's a couple of reasons why it's taken me a few extra days to record a podcast, and I'll get into that in a minute. But first and foremost, I'd like to announce, or I guess report would be the better word, on something that is, for once, on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, a good thing. (laughs) I feel like a lot of times I am reporting on the craziness, the drug abuse, the alcohol abuse, the fighting, yelling, the bipolar rages that might go on within my life or within the life of of others that I have to contend with. And for once in maybe a long time, I am here to report that I am 100% absolutely stable. And this has been at least the way it's felt for quite some time. And I could not actually give you an exact number of days. As a matter of fact, I probably couldn't even go back to my last podcast in terms of this feeling to give you an exact date as to when I started feeling this good. What I can tell you is as per my last podcast, in which I discussed some of the incidents that took place with my own mom. I uh, was told by my sister, who had actually listened to the podcast a short time after I produced it, that I sounded a lot better than I've ever sounded before. And I didn't even realize it. And I don't know if that's true, but my sister's a pretty good judge of where my mood is at and where I am mentally and, and in terms of my stability and It was nice to hear, and it got me thinking that I haven't really thought about my mood over the last several weeks, and that is a good thing in many, many ways. Uh, And again, I'll get to the reason as to why it's a bad thing. Of course, we always want to be stable, and we enjoy the stability, but because we sometimes forget about what we've been through in the past in terms of our ups and downs and all of a sudden we're feeling pretty good. Well, this is one of the reasons why many of us decide to come off medication. I will tell you right now, I am way past that in my life. I don't know what I've done to help myself or train myself to understand that the reason why I feel the way that I feel is because I am on medication. Without this medication... I would be going backwards, I would end up where I once was, 
I might enjoy some moments of the manic behavior or the manic feeling, but there is no doubt that eventually it would become unproductive and it would result in a, a number of dangerous things that have taken place in my life over the past many, many years of non-medicated uh, bipolar disorder. So I'm past that, but I encourage those of you who might be feeling well and saying to yourself, well, you know what, <laughs> I was never sick. Uh, I really don't need this, and I think I can manage this bipolar disorder without medication. Again, you're managing it because you are on medication. Now, one of the reasons why I have not recorded a podcast in the last couple of days, or probably almost a week, is sadly because I am feeling so good. And that is not an excuse to not produce these podcasts for my audience. It's almost like a cop-out, a bailout, uh, disrespect to my audience. In, in a sense, although I am not saying this out loud, and I am not feeling this way, it's very important for you all to understand that, that it's almost like I'm saying, well, you know what, I feel good, so screw the rest of you. And that's not the way that I feel at all, but it might come across that way. The reason why I know that is not the situation is because each day that goes by that I don't record a podcast, I feel a sense of guilt. And that's the God's honest truth. A sense of guilt towards myself because I haven't expressed some of the things that I want to express, whether they be good or bad. And a sense of guilt because I know that there is quite a few of you out there in podcast land that that rely on this podcast, that look forward to this podcast, that get notifications as to when this podcast will come out. Some of you have even indicated that the moment you get the notification, you turn on your podcast application, whatever that might be, and you start to listen. And uh, that makes me extremely proud of what I do, but also extremely uh, elated to know that there are those of you out there that are getting something from Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. But again, it's no excuse not to record an episode. I guess if I was to make up an excuse why I was not recording an episode other than the fact that I'm quote-unquote busy, which quite honestly is not an excuse either, I guess the excuse I would use is because I'm feeling so good. And again, it's not that I don't have the need or feel the need to record it, it results in a number of different things. Ultimately, me being more productive in life and my days going by so quickly and me doing so much that it leaves very little time for me to record podcast episodes. But I promise you, I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to ever give you the feeling that I won't be here because I will always be here. Uh, I get so much done during the day, like I mentioned, and what that ends up ha what ends up happening, and probably one of the reasons why I have added to my stability in terms of my bipolar disorder is my activity during the day leads to me being extremely tired at night, and rather than dilly dally around towards bedtime and stay up and not do the things that I need to do in terms of my sleep patterns, I am I am out like a light at night and I sleep comfortably and for an extended period of time I'm only waking up actually twice a night now which is great I'm waking up every night about 1:30, and then I rise again about 3 a.m. and both times are to urinate 
and I've been able to go back to bed immediately. And I've really never had a problem going back to bed, although sometimes I do lay there and uh, think a little bit, and until I put my headphones in and listen to whatever podcast it might be to help me uh, send myself back to Never Never Land, um, you know, I'm, I'm usually able to get those get that sleep going right away uh, back. So but the good news again is is two two times a night I've been waking up. So I believe that my sleep has been consistent, and because of that consistency, it has led to my moods being more stable. One of the other things that has occurred because of my stability, which is basically not a good thing, is the fact that I've given up on therapy, other than this therapeutic approach of recording my podcast. I promised my psychiatrist, psychiatric nurse last time, that I would make sure I made an appointment with my therapist, or with a therapist. And she said, don't promise me, promise yourself, do it for you, you're not doing it for me. And oh, I promised, talking out of my, you know what, uh, at the moment, at the time when I told her this, I was very confident that I would move forward. And again, because I'm feeling so well, I have not followed up with that promise. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And here I am telling all of you now that I should be following up with that, but I'm not. I'm not. And that's one of the downfalls of feeling good because, again, you start to feel good about yourself, good about your moods and them not fluctuating, and you say to yourself to some extent, well, I'm taking my medication, I got no issues, I got no problems, got nothing to talk about, got nothing to complain about, and I need no advice in anything, so what in the world am I going to seek out a therapist for? I'm going to allow this podcast episode to remind me and to force me, although I should not need that forcing But I am going to move forward with, hopefully, a therapist. And if by the time I come on this podcast next time around and I don't have at least an appointment scheduled, well, then we got to really discuss what's going on. Because, again, it could be a good thing that I'm still feeling stable. But at the same token, you don't want to become reactionary. You don't want to react to issues and problems. As in everything in life, and especially even when it comes to behaviors and autism and the children that I work with, we attempt to be and always want to be proactive in everything that we do. We'd rather not be reactionary in terms of our consequences. We'd rather use all the tools in our arsenal, do everything that we could possibly do before that explosive behavior occurs so that hopefully if it, if it is on the verge of occurring... We're able to nip it in the bud and not use some devastating consequences uh, to to put that behavior back into check. And in this case, there may come a point where these moods, they, they may take a turn for the worse. And something may go on that affects these moods, a stressful situation. We all know that bipolar disorder is triggered by stress. So what happens when that stressful situation occurs and then I need a therapist and all of a sudden I'm scrambling to get one? Well, that's when you really don't uh, take a whole lot of pride in exactly what you're going to choose and how you're going to go about it. Sometimes you are just, again, reactionary and impulsive in terms of choosing who you choose. Uh, And a lot of times you end up seeing somebody that you're not too fond of because you have not done the necessary research to find somebody. Now, in my case, I have a a friend at work who has recommended somebody for me. 
And ironically, not only have I not made the appointment, but although I've saved the number in my phone, it's probably been about 10 times that I've thought about not only calling this person, but I cannot remember the person's name that's stored in my phone, and I can't for the life of me understand why I didn't label it in a way that it would be able to identify in my contacts. And on top of the 10 times that I've thought about it and not being able to call, that's 10 times that I've not asked my friend at work what the name of this person is. So if one thing I could say in terms of my mood stability, my memory, my memory certainly has not gotten any better. One of the other reasons that it's not such a good thing to be stable or, or at least some of the things that we slack on, at least in my situation, is I have relied heavily on what I call a mood tracker. And I've downloaded an application and it's very important that each and every day I track my moods, whether I'm elated, whether I'm depressed, irritable, anxious, psychotic symptoms, obsessive compulsive symptoms, taking my medication. Obviously, I take it every day, so those are checked off uh, each and every day. But the ones that uh, I take in terms of as needed, like a clonopin, which again has more or less uh, been rather agreeable with my mindset as of late. Although I will say I went to a christening party this past weekend and I was extremely anxious beforehand. I mean, I'm telling you, my heart was beating out of my chest and I just said to myself, I knew I needed a a, a clonopin to help the situation and I took a .25, I cut a .50 in half And I will say this before I keep rambling on and on. It did the trick. It worked wonders. By the time I got to that party, the .25 had kicked in. It did not make me sleepy. It actually made me much more sociable. I was able to deal with my son. He spent the majority of time with me walking around, well, running around, really, this hall or this party place, so, so to speak, and people thought he was cute, and he was just so much fun. And just watching him have fun with all the other little kids brought so much joy to me. Uh, and it was a nice event. So it was originally something that I could not even function, or at least I thought I couldn't function. That point two five allowed me to function. So what does Mr. Joe do? Well, this is part of what the addict is all about. Because I was feeling so good, I said, you know what? Maybe I just popped that other .25, which was in my pocket just in case. I didn't need it, but the addict in Mr. Joe absolutely caused me to take it. And what transpired after I took it? Well, I nearly fell out and passed out asleep at the table by the end of the party. It was concerning, very concerning. So, again, that's the addict in me. I almost... Uh, fell asleep on the way home. I, I, I had to open the window. Uh, thank God. Well, it's not even safe because I got a baby in the car, but my wife was clearly tired as well. She, so she was kind of dozing off and she didn't see how exhausted I was. Thank goodness it wasn't a long ride. By the time we got to the house, I pulled into the driveway. I was, uh, the baby was asleep and my wife was out, turned off the car and I swear I could have fell asleep right there in the driveway, but instead everybody kind of hopped up. And when we got inside, I was still so tired that my wife looked at me and she said, you need to go into bed. 
going to bed so that you can at least enjoy the rest of the night that we have together. And she let me sleep for about two hours, which I have not done in a very long time. And that was the result of me taking the clonopin a step further than it should have been because I'm an addict and I always will be an addict. But back to my original point, my mood tracker, I have not done that mood tracker on a regular basis in in days. Now I'm keeping track and what I mean by that is I'll go four or five days where I don't do it and then all of a sudden I'll start filling in the blanks from five days ago. That's not the way to go about it. Now the good thing is I have nothing to report in terms of my moods but on the days where I was a little bit anxious it would have helped to be consistent with my mood tracker because at least I could notate that and jot that down as to where I stood with my anxiety, where I stood with my irritability because I'm sure there have been days where I've been irritable. And just the fact that I'm saying I'm sure there have been goes to show that I should be still doing my mood tracker. But because I felt so good or I feel so good, I have slacked on that as well. So feeling good is a great thing, but it's also very important that you continue to follow your routine, whatever that might be, to make sure that you are proactive when and if things take a turn for the worse. Now, just to update everybody, because I've actually had some emails directed towards me, uh, people saying, please don't leave us hanging on this situation with your mom and your sister and everything that's transpired. Well, I will tell you this. Uh, I got a call on Saturday this past weekend, and it was my mother. And I said to myself, well, I guess my message that I left her really didn't do a whole lot. She probably listened, waited a couple of days and said, let me give this guy a call again. Now, again, for those of you who may not remember, my message was very clear and concise in terms of what I wanted to be done or not done on on my mother's behalf. And that was to never contact me again. That included my father as they were a, a partnership, a pair. And I believe that he is an an enabler to my mother's alcoholism and mental illness that is untreated. And I was very calm and I was very factual in this message that I left. And it was a long one. It was a rambling one. But it was, it made sense. It did. It made a lot of sense. And I asked her not to call me again until both of them got the help that they needed. And And I stand by that statement. Things are not going to change in terms of that. So I I really, did I expect a call? Yeah, eventually. Eventually I knew she'd reach out, but not not this many days later. Now, I had indicated in an email also, because my mother, on one of those messages that she left, she claimed that she was waiting for us for days and we never showed up. And I made sure that in the email I wrote, I would never not show up. That is not within my character. I did call and I explained to you on the phone or on the answering machine as to why you would not see me and my children and the steps that you need to take in order to uh, resolve this or at least have a shot at developing a relationship again down the line. I left you a message. And that's that. So when Saturday rolled around and I got the call from her, I said, well, that didn't take too long. And I'll let you know right now. I'm not going to play the message for you, but I'll, I'll sum it up 
first, she was probably more drunk than I've heard her ever in the last couple of months. So clearly my message did not ring home in terms of that. And then I started to realize why, as she continuously babbled on my voicemail, she indicated that she never got my message. She got my email, and she listened to the answer machine several times and played it back, and there is no message from me, and there is no reason for her to lie, but she never got my message. And then she went on to say, and this is how she closed out the message, she said, you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. And of course, I'm not going to do her drunk voice. But she says at the end, she says, you need to call us back with Tad, which is my best friend, Tad's phone number. We need his phone number because your father needs weed. Goodbye. So, I don't know what that was all about. And if I was to ponder a guess, it's her way of sticking it to me saying, well, you're not good enough for us anymore, but we'll just go next to, we'll go to the next closest source to you, which is your best friend, number one, to hurt you, and number two, to inquire about information about you to see where you stand and if you've said anything to your friend, which I have not, because he is a big believer, Tad, in the fact that I should basically let everything go and never hinder the relationship that I have with my parents and accept them for who they are much of which is because he just lost his father to Alzheimer's, and I get it. Uh, his mother actually happens to be bipolar as well, and he deals with that. He supports her, but she is nowhere near my mother in terms of the dangerous qualities. There's just a lot of crying and a lot of ups and downs, but again, I believe she is well-managed in terms of her medication, but Tad is a big believer that I should be maintaining that relationship with my family. Nevertheless, of course, I didn't give the number, but what I did do is I had a reaction. I had a reaction to that voicemail, and I said, well, clearly they have not gotten my message, so it is now time to man up. And let me tell you something. It is not easy to man up with a mom who has basically, and I don't know the proper word, but made you fearful your entire life that if you did not do things to either impress her or satisfy her in the best way that you know how, that she would hold it against you and she would have an attitude and she would be angry and she would say things to hurt you. And that's the way my entire life has always been with my mother. So when I say I had to man up, man, I really had to man up because it was not an easy phone call to make. But here's the interesting thing. No matter how much I talked myself through it, no matter how much I insisted upon the fact that when she answered that phone, I was going to leave or at least speak into the same tone or as the same tone in terms of the message that I left. I was going to be calm. I was going to be factual. I was going to be to the point. I was going to let her know what my expectations were of her, how disappointed, how it was not permissible for her to talk about my sister uh, the way that she did, that it was a disgusting thing that she did. Here I am practicing on my podcast and I'm able to do it. So this was the plan. And when I tell you, when I called up, my plan went so completely opposite than everything that I should have done. I started off calmly. She tried to interrupt me. 
I said, please don't interrupt me. And then I started to continue with my statement. She interrupted again. And when I tell you my explosiveness, my anger, my screaming was so devastating, it actually had a, a big impact on me. My Afterwards, when I was completely done with the, with the screaming and the yelling and the, by the way, hanging up on her and not letting her get a single word out, which is something that I've done in the past. I have been explosive to the point where I remember an ex-boyfriend was reaching out to my wife and she really wanted no part of it. And she said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this guy the next time he calls and I want you to be right there. So I tell him, knock it off. I don't want to talk to you. Even if it's just friends, I am involved now. And obviously me and my wife were not married yet. And, you know, he, he snuck this, he was such a sneaky man, which I think is disgusting. He sent her a text message that was from a completely different number. Apparently there's something called spoof numbers and you can make up a different number. And he, he texted her, and said something about an old concert that they went to when they were younger to help her to understand that it was him reaching out. And she, you know, being the honest woman that she is, she came, she told me, and she said, I am going to call him the next time he calls or he texts. And me, like a moron, I spoofed him back and said, hey, it's me pretending I was her. This is how sick I was in my head. I said, can you talk right now? He said, no, I can't, but give me a call tonight. And I said, well, this is not okay. And I said to my, I go, here you go. I showed my wife the text. I said, or my girlfriend at the time, she goes, that's it. I'm going to call him right now. Well, she called him on speaker. And instead of letting her speak and me obtaining some information that I wanted to know about, why was he calling? What did he want to say? What was his reasoning for reaching out? I didn't even let him get a word in or hug it a sentence out, and I started screaming like a maniac. I'm going to kick your effing butt. I don't care if you're a police officer. You take that badge off and meet me in the street, and I'll beat the crap out of you. I mean, I was an animal. And again, I was the exact same way with my mother, completely explosive, no control. No matter what I told myself I was going to do, uh, I did not do. And I hung up on her, and really, what did I accomplish? I was mean. I was nasty. I don't know what her response was. Um, and we have not spoken since, or at least she has not called since. But one of the things that made me start to think about was while I am diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that behavior is something that took place a lot when I was unmedicated. And there is actually a word for it or, or a term for it or, a, or really a psychiatric diagnosis, something that I deal with with my students, many of my students who are not diagnosed with autism, but might be diagnosed with emotional, um, an emotional disturbance. A lot of times they have a secondary diagnosis, something called intermittent explosive disorder. Something that's very similar, similar to that, but, um, and I'm not gonna get into it, is something called ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. And it is quite different, some of the reactionary ways that people respond to things in terms of their anger and outbursts are the same, but they do it for different reasons. Defiance is just what it is. You want to be defiant about everything, whereas intermittent explosive disorder, which is somewhat of the way that I acted to an extent in terms of 
I guess you can say, the emotional and explosive verbal and behavioral outbursts that I projected upon my mother, uh, at this point in time, I guess you could say, out of proportion to the situation that I was in, things were calm. It was not a, oh, she just left my sister a message. I was angry. That was my response. Things had settled down at this point. I actually talked myself out of calling like a madman. So I can't say that it was out of proportion to the situation because, um, well, really I can. I can say it's out of proportion because it was not something that was a direct occurrence of a situation. It was me just acting like an animal. But it made me think along the lines in terms of my bipolar disorder. And it, 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 it helped me to understand that there is many, many times that I engaged in this intermittent, intermittent explosive disorder. And it scares me because it, it helps me to wonder or say to myself, if, if I didn't seek the help that I needed through a psychiatric nurse, if I didn't come to the conclusion that I needed help, I could have been walking around with one of the two, either bipolar disorder or this intermittent explosive disorder because the symptoms are very, very similar. And maybe intermittent explosive disorder is a subcategory of bipolar disorder. I would imagine that to be true. But what intermittent explosive disorder is, is really repeated sudden outbursts, an episode of, of impulsive, aggressive, violent, dangerous possibly behavior, or verbal outbursts, again, in which one reacts completely out of proportion to the situation. A great example of this would be road rage when I was walking the dogs with my little baby and my wife and somebody was coming at me. Well, believe me when I tell you, they were not aiming as if they were in a video game looking to strike me in the middle of the street, but I acted in a way that was completely out of proportion in regards to the situation. I took it upon myself to think that this person was out to hit us, was driving dangerously, was about to hurt my son. I became overprotective, would have knocked my wife into next week by smashing into her. And I had this rage, this road rage in the middle of the street, uh, very similar to things that I would do in a car if somebody cut me off. Completely raging violent behavior and you know this could also include I would think some of the things that I used to do when I was in my rages in the house with my ex-wife and my children present throwing breaking things slamming doors punching holes through doors in one instance slapping my hand against a glass door and the glass shattering all over the place just total temper tantrums and these are all signs of inter intermittent explosive disorder. And these are some of the things that I used to do, some of the ways that I used to engage in, in, in my behavior would be a result of this, of these angry outbursts that were completely uncontrollable. Again, kind of similar to what I did with my mother. And it would definitely cause significant distress afterwards. There's no doubt about it. The after effects 
what I used to feel like. I don't, I can't even think along the lines. It actually gives me a bit of anxiety when I think about what I used to feel like after I would engage in these explosive outbursts. I mean, obviously they impacted my, my many of my relationships, whether that be with my ex-wife, sometimes with my friends, sometimes people at work. Uh, it, honestly, it could even have an impact legally, which to some extent never really happened to me unless you want to go back to my college days in which I was explosively angry towards somebody and completely out of proportionate to the situation because he backed into me at a party. So I started a big, huge brawl, and legally I ended up arrested for $10,000 bail, and I was charged with three uh, criminal felonies. And, you know, financial consequences, no doubt. I mean, listen, you break things, you got to pay for them. That's really what it comes down to. And I, I know that based on just my knowledge of intermittent explosive disorder in my students, it's, it's really a chronic disorder that can go on for many, many years. And the one thing that helps me to understand, or at least when looking back at my behavior, for me to know that it was maybe possibly a symptom of the bipolar disorder, is one of the things I know about intermittent explosive disorder is, believe it or not, it actually, the severity of the outburst, they may actually decrease in time. So as you get older, maybe you have a little less energy to engage in these things. Whereas with me, bipolar disorder and the mood swings evidently and clearly got increasingly worse as I got older. So that's the one thing that would allow me to look back and understand that, again, it was possibly a symptom. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I would have these explosive eruptions that would just happen suddenly, really oftentimes with little or no warning. And although they were relatively short-lived, they would go on anywhere from, you know, 10 minutes to a half hour, uh, depending on just how dysregulated my mind was. Um, I, I'd say there were some points in my life, and I would imagine in which it depended on my mood swing and what I was in. Sometimes they would happen every day. Sometimes they would happen every other day. Sometimes I'd go weeks and possibly go even months without being aggressive. And... Really, I could say that, in a nutshell, looking back, they were, I was angry most of the time. Most of the time I engaged in that rage, that irritability. I had a, a tremendous amount of energy. Um, yeah, I remember my, my body almost transforming and changing. My heart would palpitate. My body would tingle. I'd start to shake. My thoughts would really start to race, which, again, possibly could have been part of the manic episode that I was in. But these are all things that would go on. And, you know, again, they were completely out of proportion to the situation. I had no regard for what took place. I didn't have any ability to rationalize what was actually happening, what the reason was for it happening, and what the correct result or the correct reaction should have been. I just impulsively acted with a temper tantrum, with a complete, utter tirade. It would cause disgusting, heated 
horrible arguments, unnecessary, horrible arguments with my wife, screaming, yelling, you know, sometimes, and, and listen, I'm man enough to admit it, shoving and pushing, and no, I've never hit a woman, that doesn't mean that, 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 you know, you could shove and push somebody, and a lot of times my my behavior before I shoved and pushed was so dramatic and devastating that it would cause them to shove and push me first. And then, uh, then of course, my reasoning would be, well, you hit me first or you pushed me first, but you, you're acting like such an animal that, to be honest, wouldn't have mattered if you even brought them to that point because odds are you would have got so angry. And my God, when I thought, and again, completely out of proportion to the situation, there were times when I thought... I made things up in my mind when my wife was hiding things from me. And, and let me tell you, it came to a point where if an ex-boyfriend would reach out or text her, and although she would not respond, and I know that to be true because, A, the psychopath would go on the phone bill and, and analyze it and see the text message come through and then no response from her, and then another text message come through months later from the same number and no response from her, even though that she was, you know, doing that, it probably got to a point where if and when somebody did reach out to her, she would hide it from me because she was afraid of the reaction, the disproportionate reaction that she would get from her boyfriend slash husband being an animal. And I remember one time setting her up for something and her hiding what I did or what I pretended to be done by an ex-boyfriend, her hiding it from me. And really, we were having such a nice night that night. I remember so clearly we were getting along, things were going well, and then I uh, I pretended I was somebody else, and I believe I texted her or emailed her, and she ran into the bathroom, and I watched this behavior, and she ran in, she deleted it, she didn't write back, and I kind of tested her. And before I even gave her a chance to explain, I remember grabbing her by the shoulders and throwing her down on a bed, screaming, or a couch, Screaming, you yelled, you you lied to me, you're a cheater, you're this, you're that, and her crying. And, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you because we were having a good night and I didn't want to ruin it. And I wanted to wait and I knew this is how you would respond. So, you know, uh, I guess you could call that threatening. Threatening acts. There were times even, I got to tell you, that my anger would be lashed out at animals and never hurt them, but... Uh, God forbid, never kick one, never hit one, but throw one aside, meaning my dog, well, had an accident on the ground. I mean, what's the big deal? Or didn't go out the back door when I wanted it to, to go to the bathroom, or barking when really what a dog does is just bark. I mean, shut up! You know, no, no, no regard for the animal's well-being in that sense. You shut up! You know, just like completely irrational and angry, and I'd be good one second, and then all of a sudden I'd hear the bark, and boom, like an animal. Property damage. <laughs> I think about property damage. And again, I mentioned the glass doors that I used to break, and I mean, some of the things that I used to break, and, and no, again, I remember, and I could just rattle off the top of my head, um, a sink. <laughs> I actually broke a sink. You know the little spray thing? Uh, rip that off the um, the hose. I remember mirrors, punching my hands through mirrors. Uh, I remember 
obviously millions of holes that I've punched in walls, kicks that I've made to walls, tables that I've flipped, chairs that I've broken, times when I really thought that the base of my hand, or not the palm, but you know, right next to your pinky, if you were to bang like a hammer, I thought that part of my hand would be broken some of the times that I would smash my hands on tables. And, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, genetics, which is quite possible, looking at my mother, the way that she acted, whether it was the way that I grew up, uh, you know, a lot of people with explosive disorder such as this, they'll grow up in families where this uh, explosive verbal and physical behavior is very common. So obviously when you're exposed to this type of violence at an early age, it makes it more likely for you to be an adult who will exhibit those same traits as they get older and quote-unquote mature, I guess you could say. Uh, is it the brain chemistry? Who knows? Probably. I would imagine the serotonin plays a part in it. Um, but, but, but again, these are things that you won't know unless you see a doctor and things you won't be able to correct until you see a doctor. Um, I would imagine that intermittent explosive disorder is different in bipolar disorder because you probably realize afterwards, or at least quicker than you do with bipolar disorder, that you've done something really, really wrong. If, if that makes any sense, um, you know, that, that maybe the guilt has set in in a way um, that you you feel that remorse and that regret or that embarrassment a little bit quicker than you would with bipolar disorder. Because, again, with bipolar disorder, you're in that extended mood swing. So until you become uh, down or up or whatever, make your way out of that mood swing. A lot of times you don't recognize what you've done. And with bipolar disorder, a lot of times our memory is not too good. So we don't even realize that the angry, horrible ways that we've acted unless we take a look around at the destruction that we've caused. Um, and again, that's the way that I would react in terms of my bipolar disorder, uh, intermittent explosive disorder. I would think that on the flip side, some people are so angry and get, get so explosive that they may even feel a sense of relief after the episode. Some may become tired, uh, but again, very quickly afterwards, remorse, embarrassment, regretting um, things that you've done. But if, if you really take a look at it, they are very similar, or at least one stems from the other. It's almost impossible to uh, separate the two. And again, these are ways that I used to act. And I am grateful that I am not behaving in this way anymore. But in order to prevent myself from ever going through these things again, I think it's important that the things I discussed in the beginning of this episode, um, I have to be proactive and um you know, stick with my treatment, make sure that I do that, whatever that treatment is, and improve my treatment, obviously my treatment being medication, but improve it in terms of therapy, 
you know, learn because I know nothing about this and I'm not really sure while I don't need coping skills right now, again, it is not safe to say that I won't need them and I'm going to have to start to practice them. Uh, and, and I don't know those coping skills right now. So I need to get in control of that, even though they're not happening to prevent myself from possibly engaging in this intermittent explosive anger the way that I acted towards my mother when really I could have taken the situation and rationalized and, and been a little bit more calmer in the way that I approached her and communicated the same thing probably even a little bit more effectively. Um, you know, I'm not really big into some of those coping mechanisms that are suggested through therapy like the regular deep breathing or yoga but, but, but from what I understand, they do work. So that's up to you. And I'm okay with that if that's something that you do. Because apparently those things are really, really good. You know, my thing is I, I need to develop really a new way of thinking when the, when the you-know-what hits the fan. And I believe we oftentimes, and I don't want to get technical and clinical on you, but we are oftentimes refer to this as cognitive restructuring, which is basically changing the way that you think about a frustrating situation, such as my mother, and you try to use that situation, although it might be frustrating, you take time, you get your thoughts in order, and you use rational thoughts and logic and your expectations, you temper them a, a little bit in terms of what should or could or would happen if you speak calmly. And if you think along those lines before act, actually acting out, you know, that may actually improve how you view or react to an event. Again, something that I had very little control over when it came to screaming and yelling at my mother. Um, I... Again, I have therapy would probably allow me to use some problem-solving skills that I'm not very good at. And these things, again, are not problems right now because I am relatively stable. And that's a big, that's a big problem. So I think the key here is that I got to get before things get out of control. And again, this is not because of the reaction that I had to my mother or the way that I communicated to her. But it, it leaves me or allows me to realize that I am vulnerable. I am vulnerable and I have to learn better ways to improve on my communication. Um, and what that comes down to is listening to what happened or examining what happens or what another person is trying to say or do or share with you whether it be good or bad, and then you got to think about your best response. Rather, and this is a big one, saying the first damn thing that pops into my head. And i got a real big problem with that. And <laughs> if I could learn a way to not just say the damn thing that pops into my head, um, uh, that would be really, really helpful. Again, I don't know how to go about that right now. If it's even possible... You want to leave the situation that gets you upset. Um, you know, I, I tend to stick around, so to speak, and I just boil and boil and boil, and I get to the point of no return. And the question is, is it bipolar disorder, is it, or is it intermittent explosive disorder? 
Or does any of it really matter? I think what matters is getting the help that you need to make sure that you maintain proper relationships in your life so that you could be more productive in life, if that makes any sense. And I think that it does. <laughs> I know I say that a lot. Um, so in this, in this aspect, I will say I believe that does make sense. So if you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well right now I ask you and urge you to continue to work hard if you love somebody you care about somebody with a mental illness I ask that you do your best to try to support that person in whatever way you feel is the most appropriate and right now if you are struggling with a mental illness if you're having a hard time uh, as hard as it might be I ask you to keep battling and most importantly soldier on Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.